Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz Elam, your host. I'm also the founder of Juicy. Juicy is an online membership community of co-working founders, an international conference series, and a global network of spaces called Juicy Places. When I'm not running Juicy, I'm consulting with the Deco Group and attending the University of Houston's graduate program in Foresight. I'm obsessed with the future of work. And in this season, we're talking about just that, the future. Let's dive in. everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for Workplace Trends. Many of you that follow me may know every year I do something called co-working mega trends, which are kind of my forecast for what I think is going to happen in the next year. And what you may or may not know is that every year I call up my friend Steve King, who's the co-founder of Emergent Research, and I run things by him because he's one of the smartest people I know. So Steve, welcome. Thanks for having me. And I always have fun each year with this discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of fun. So we thought it would be great to record it. So thank you so much for taking the time. Before we jump in, how the hell are you? Doing well, doing well. We just got some more rain here in California where we desperately need it. So things are looking up for us. I love it. That's fantastic. Okay. So we're going to jump right in, everybody. So one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is the real estate industry because, you know, real estate is really coming in with this flexible workspace. They're talking all about flexibility. Everybody's got like a flexible division now. Cushman just put $150 million into WeWork. CBRE put over $200 million into Industrious. And, you know, I really feel like the real estate industry was ripe for this disruption. You know, they were like, I'm going to buy a building, chop it up, really long leases, and you guys will just pay it and the world will go on and that's over. So how do you, how do you think the real estate industry is going to be reacting to this huge shift? My thoughts are that they are going to divest themselves of a huge amount of real estate. I think a lot of corporations are going to go into the co-working flexible work biz. I think real estate companies are going to all come out with their own flexible workspace brand. I think they'll buy all the aggregators out there and really go all in on this because the old way is gone. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, one of the things that we find really interesting right now is the venture capital investment in what they call prop tech, property related technology has boomed over the last 18 months. And it, it, it had started to grow sort of prior to the pandemic. We look at the pandemic in terms of, did it accelerate trends, existing trends? Did it create new trends? Did it decelerate trends? And the investments in prop tech were happening beforehand, but definitely been greatly accelerated by the pandemic. So there's a flood of money actually coming in to help change the way real estate works. And the, the things you mentioned make certainly make sense to me. I think you know we've been talking about the long-term lease being dead for as long as I've known you, known you for well over a decade at this point. So it's not moving quick, you know, it's still out there. So, and it'll continue to make, take a long time for that to happen. But along the way, certainly becoming more flexible with our office space is going to happen. We're seeing buildings being sold. One of the interesting trends, of course, is shifting office buildings to housing in urban setting. And that's growing very rapidly from from a small base right now, but continues to grow rapidly. Most of our cities have housing shortages and office surpluses. And then in the flexible space, without a doubt, and it's going to continue to grow and 
we we felt from day one of the pandemic that this would greatly accelerate the shift of co-working into the suburbs, closer to where people live, since many of them won't be going into the office nearly as much as, as they used to. So yeah, major changes across that industry. And and it'll be fun to watch um, for, for us as trend watchers, <laughs> because uh, talk about an industry that's resistant to change and being forced into a lot of change very rapidly. So it's mm-hmm. going to be a really interesting time. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, I remember in 2020, you know, we were planning a juicy in Seattle and then we quickly pivoted to an online event and you came on and you talked about black swans and that was such a, such a fantastic talk. And then it's so interesting because I'm in my foresight course, I, they just bought up black swans. And so, you know, We've just been through this insane global pandemic, right? Like, should we be planning for another one? Uh, Yes, of course, because black swans, any individual black swan is a rare occurrence that's unexpected. But you can expect some rare occurrence that's unexpected on a fairly regular basis, whether it's, you know, prior black swans happen at in some sense, roughly every decade, maybe maybe even a little faster. Think about oil crisis of the 70s and early 80s. Uh, and think about the Great Recession was, was kind of a black swan event because of the way it happened in 2008. And so, so you definitely need to think about and plan for them. By their nature, they're extremely hard to plan for. But what you can do is try to build more general resilience into how you do things. And and I would, you know, the supply chain issues that we're going through right now is a bit of a black swan continuation of the pandemic effect. And gee, you know, if, if you'd really done your planning well, if you hit the pandemic, you would have known we would have supply chain problems as a result of the pandemic. It makes perfectly good sense. And so now we have supply chains. Everybody's saying, well, we got to have our supply chains more resilient. So I think it's more looking at overall corporate resilience and agility and your ability to adjust rapidly to changing circumstances. And I think I told you in the last time we actually did a study for a big company where we one of our scenarios was the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we actually kind of nailed how the pandemic and it was only about 18 months before the pandemic. We kind of nailed how the pandemic go. But the company did nothing in response to that scenario because it was such a low probability. Right. And I think the mistake that company made and the mistake we made helping them was talking specifically about the pandemic instead of focusing more on how do you build a more resilient and agile organization that can react to any kind of black spot. Right. So, yeah. This, this, but that's hard. It's really yeah. hard. It's really hard. And it's, it's, you know, everybody wants to deal with the problem at hand and not really look into the future and what could be coming and how could we possibly handle this scenario or that scenario. So, yeah, I get it, but I do think you have to plan for it because something else is going to happen. Yeah. And we're, we're more focused now with our clients, you know, to, to the horse kind of already left the barn in this case, but we're more focused now with our clients around, let's build general agility. Let's build general resilience. Let's build backup situations. Let's let's have planning. So whether it's some climate change impact or yet another pandemic, or maybe some other kind of energy shock, or regardless of what the black swan shock is, that we're more able to respond. And let's put in rapid response 
capabilities. Um, well, it's it's so interesting that you brought up climate change because also in my classes they were talking about how climate change is the black elephant now, which is it's the mm. elephant in the room that's now just a given. Like climate change is a thing and everybody just knows it. And yeah, everybody and, has to plan for it. And everybody has to plan. Every industry is being affected in one way or another. And right. it's like a slow motion black swan, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yep, yep, definitely. Well, I know we already talked about people moving to the suburbs, which we saw coming and which has really taken off. I've talked to a lot of operators in the suburbs and they're on wait lists and they're building more. And, you know, lots of the larger brands are going into the suburbs because people don't want to commute. People don't want to pay to park. People want to work closer to home, but they still have to get out of their home. So we We've got, you know, hybrid, hub and spoke, flexible, co-working. I am going to be introducing and utilizing the term boundaryless work because I think <laughs> that's what it's going to be. And, you know, just like last year, people are going to demand choice. They have the power. The power is shifted. As we both know, corporations are very slow moving, but they're forming lots of teams, doing lots of surveys. Oh, and by the way, helpful hint, if you're a corporation listening to this, if you do a survey and you ask everybody their opinion and then ignore it and do what you wanted to anyway, it's going to really piss them off Mm -hmm. because I've seen that happening a lot. So I think one of the biggest challenges for corporations moving forward is going to be culture, right? Because people are going to be in their home. People are going to be in third spaces. People are going to be at the office. People are going to be traveling. People are going to be going on retreats. So it's going to be like culture, I think is going to be a real problem along with this continued problem around talent retention and attraction being the number one problem for all CEOs globally. I don't think that went away. I actually think that got moved to even a bigger problem. So my hypothesis is co-working spaces where people do have their own culture and their own identity and their own force that people can identify with are going to be very, very important in the future because companies won't be able to have the culture in the way they used to. And so being able to send your people to a place that's already got that is going to be really good. Like that's something I think WeWork had and lost. I think it's something Industrious is doing a good job at. So just curious on your thoughts around can flexible work slash co-working help corporations with their lack of culture? I, I think they certainly can help. And um, and I think co-working spaces tend to have, as you said, have their own culture that attracts like-minded people. And I think one of the things companies are going to have to figure out is how do we find places and spaces where where those cultures are similar to our culture? or the culture we would like. Mm-hmm. And so that you're you're putting your people in like-minded cultures, but also you're making it easier for your, it's, it's very hard to maintain culture remotely. And, yeah. and we know that, we know that from prior to the pandemic and we're learning it even more so. And so the more they can align space cultures with their cultures, the better off they're going to be. Now, some companies are saying, well, I'll do it myself. I'll do this hub and spoke thing. I'll put my own office in the in the suburbs and that way we'll, we'll be able to control and maintain our culture. That's not going to really work except in some exceptions because people still aren't going to 
enough of your employees are likely not going to be close enough to, to be able to pull that off. And you'll still mm-hmm. be asking people to commute a long way. So I do think spaces have a lot to offer there. And I think because of that, co-working spaces need to think long and hard about their culture mm-hmm. and what kind of culture they have and what kind of culture they can offer to their potential customers. Right. And, and out of this, more and more traditional employees are going to be working in co-working spaces. You know, we, we always saw that as a long-term trend, another long-term trend accelerated by the pandemic. And so, and so co-working spaces are going to have to think about, so what kind of corporate culture should we try to not, not necessarily mirror, but type of culture to match? Are we going to be a, you know, tech-oriented bro culture? Are we going to be a finance-oriented culture? Or are we going to be a general culture? I, I think that's going to be a big challenge for the co-working industry as well as the industry, the traditional organizations. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, one of the things I've been coaching some folks on is like, you know, if you go look at their website, they're like, we've got free coffee, we've got meeting space, we've got blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, everybody has that. Like, it's a very crowded space now, and it's going to get more crowded. And so you need to know who you are and what you offer above and beyond that. Like, what's your one thing that the guy across the street or down the block isn't doing? How are you differentiating yourself? I think that's going to be super important. And one of the things that's super buzzy right now on differentiation is amenities. Like Mm -hmm. we're seeing super high-end clubs being rolled out. We're seeing babysitting as an amenity. We're seeing vertical gardens as amenities. We're seeing doctor concierge services as amenity, lots of health and wellness amenities. And like, there's definitely an amenities race happening right now. So I'm curious, Steve, what amenity would get you to go into a co-working space? Well, the, the amenities that have always attracted me are the ones that combine social with work. And so I, and so I, I like these clubs. I was a member of, of a combo work social club in San Francisco for a while for the pandemic and, and kind of shut it down with that. But but for a lot of people, and, and I think the uh, the attraction of co-working is both the social side and the work side and the networking side. And so I do like that combination of amenities. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big, I don't really care what my desk looks like. My, my first co-working space, I believe the desk I had the, the guy had made it himself and not well. <laughs> he doesn't have a future in carpentry um, here in the Bay Area. And, you know, so those amenities appeal to some people that we talked about this before we started. I'm not a design guy. I don't have any sense of design. So so design doesn't affect me, but certainly a lot of people are looking for a space with, with good design. But I think the the amenities I like is the blend of social and work. And if it had the capability to provide sort of more all-in-one stuff, I would like that too. It's nice mm-hmm. to have, nice to have e- if not food in the space, easy access. If not gym stuff in the space, easy access. And I think yep. a, a lot of the a lot of the locations where you can get that help a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. I I am design obsessed. And you know, my opinion is you know, corridors after corridors of doors for offices needs to evolve. And I think open space with rows of desks needs to evolve. And I think we're getting better about putting in phone rooms and meeting rooms. But like, it's just, 
I haven't seen that much lately that I'm just like, ooh, you know, that really is interesting and that's exciting. Like, I really like the design of Bond Collective, not related. There's a new club in New York called Bond Zero that's really gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I belong to Soho House. The Soho House here in Austin is great, but you can't work from it. So it's like, mm-hmm. there's something missing, right? And, you know, what I think of is, you know, where do I go on vacation where I feel inspired and intrigued? And like, there's often a hotel lobby I love to work out of. It just had better plugs and better service, you know, which Mm -hmm. Ace Hotel did a million years ago. And I actually just visited the Huxton in Chicago recently. And they've got quite a nice brand there. Their working from brand is pretty exciting. So I just, I think it designed as something that's going to, we're going to really see change soon. Yeah, the Soho House in New York just added, uh, recently, I think, added the co-working space specific. It's about a block away from... Yeah, yeah. We actually did part of Juicy at Soho Works and it was Uh, gorgeous and it was it was thriving. It was doing really well. Yeah. And I it's I think it's kind of a shame that it's not physically connected to the main Soho house, but it's it's a short walk. And so uh, so I think something like that, um, you know, that's a that's a true blending of the two. Uh, Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and I know Common Desk has done like a high end club concept. I think Hub Australia might have. So I think Mm -hmm. we'll see that trend as well. Well, and then, you know, we've been talking about and predicting, you know, what was going to, that mental health was going to become a thing. And I'm happy to report that I don't feel like I need to march around with that banner anymore. I feel like everyone's figured it out and that's freaking awesome. So now the next thing that I'm really interested in and trying to help with is diversity, inclusivity, sustainability, and, and also the health of your building. Like that is one that I think way too many mm. people gloss over that the real estate people hate. I was talking to a very large developer from New York the other week and he's like, well, is a bunch of BS. It's just them making money. And I'm like, yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I do think we're going to see a bigger focus on the health of the physical space in the Mm -hmm. future, especially post-COVID. Like, I would love to know how often the air is recycled in a space. I would love to know, you know, what the airflow looks like so I can sit in the right seat so that somebody's germs aren't blowing on me. So that's just another thing I think we're that that people don't want to happen that's happening. Yeah, and and the... we used to have a term for it long ago called sick buildings, which yeah. wasn't necessarily having to do with even viruses. It had to do with the way the building was built and the chemicals that were being released and the odors and, and so forth. And I, you know, that's a tough one for the real estate industry because that's that requires capital investment, that requires renovation, that requires changing things quite a bit. And so that's a hard one for them to overcome if they didn't do it up front. But there's clearly going to be a lot more focus on it. And certainly um, corporate real estate departments are all over this because HR is all over trying to improve health and wellness and putting people in buildings that aren't healthy, not a good idea anymore. So so I definitely think that's going to shift and the investments are going to be made. That just is, is going to take time to, to ripple through the installed base of real estate. But without a doubt, um, more and more people are, are already thinking about healthy buildings, both both where they work and where they live than we than we ever have before. And and fresh air and uh, recirculation and materials that that don't make you sick 
are, are going to definitely be a high priority as well as, you know, more greenery internally, which, which is very helpful on multiple levels. But, but yeah, the mental health piece is, you know, you still need to beat the drum on that one. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not I done. Do I thought I was done. I do agree that it's, it's, um, it's much more widely accepted, but it's still, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in that area. And the pandemic, um, of course, greatly increased our mental health issues, yeah. um, particularly loneliness and loneliness related and social interaction. So I still think we have a long way to go on that. And I'm still, you know, when I get the opportunity to talk about that, I still beat the drum pretty yeah. Yeah. I need to pick it back up. Um, it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast and they asked Brian, the founder of Airbnb with a, about like what the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur is. And he said, it's loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's like not awesome that, that that's the thing. But I was so glad to hear him talking about it on this platform because, you know, I think we're all so in our own heads and thinking like we're different and we only uh, only I have this loneliness thing or only I feel this way or only I'm questioning myself. And it's just a human condition to, I think, have imposter syndrome and think you're not good enough or you're not doing enough or whatever. And yeah, definitely the pandemic made depression even worse and loneliness even worse and anxiety even worse. And I don't even think, you know, we're so busy running numbers on the pandemic and supply chain that I don't think there is enough of a spotlight on that. And we are definitely losing lives to it, which is horrific. Yeah. And so we're, we've gotten much better about it. We have a long way to go. I mean, that's kind of where, so. Yeah. And I mean, I just want to encourage anyone that's listening to this. One of the greatest things you can do is just look somebody in the face, get their eyes and say hi. Like so many people feel unseen and they just think nobody's watching. And if you just connect with them on a superhuman level, it can make all the difference in the world. Um, so if you were working on your co-working or your flexible workspace brand and you're listening to this going, okay, this is all well and good, but how do I future-proof my brand? What are some of your thoughts around how people can future-proof? Ooh, that's a hard one, always. I think there's a couple things. I, I do think focusing on, uh, we've already talked about culture of your space. I think that's a future-proofing methodology. If your culture is solid, you can you can stand up to a lot of change in the future. I think also, and we touched on this, building in more agility and more flexibility in terms of how you build out and operate your space, you know, so you can make changes and adjust to to new shifts as, as the future moves forward. Anything you can do that, that makes that easier and quicker. Time has now become a major competitive uh, factor. And it's funny that the, the, the first people talked about time-based competition were written. First books were written back in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hardly, again, very few trends are new. They've either, <laughs> they've either accelerated or decelerated or gone away, but they're, mm-hmm. they're rarely new. And certainly being able to rapidly adjust, the, the, the pandemic has, has certainly shown that in terms of branding. I think the other piece of, of branding is Getting beyond what you mentioned earlier around, you know, we have we have work, you know, we have, we have tables, we have space, we have, <laughs> we have you coffee. Know, we have coffee. Yeah. Brand brand is is a much more holistic view. 
and and your actual space cannot be your brand. Your brand has to be what you stand for, yep. who you want to attract, and your ability to attract them and, and keep them culturally aligned with what you want to do as best you can, given what's going on. So I think it, it, I think future proofing is really about rethinking what it is you offer and, and making it more about the brand itself, more about, about what your values are and how you fit into people's world. Yeah, and, that's a really and more good and more point. People, more and more people are, are making their choices based on their values and their interests. And exactly. so, and so it's become less about what the specific product is and it's becoming more about what the specific product or service stands for. And so to me, future-proofing means, means moving in that direction. Um, yeah, that 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 younger generation makes their decisions based off of what you stand for, who you're investing in, who you're donating to, and they they need to see action. They don't want to just hear about it. They want to make sure you're doing it. And so, yeah, I think it's but I also think it's really great because, you know, if you do those things, then you'll attract the right people and those people will meet other people. And then the magic of the, you know, serendipity of co-working or flexible space or people working together in the same space will happen because it is a differentiator. Like if you're just sitting at home alone, you're not bouncing ideas off of anybody. You're not um, having an interesting conversation about this new app you just downloaded. Like you're just alone in your silo. Um, so I do think that that once, you know, the pandemic's more in the background and we can get back to that, I think we'll actually see a surge in the economy based off of just people getting back together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, the economy, uh, we're, we're in an interesting time. The economy's doing quite well, but we're all kind of, the country's kind of gloomy about it right now. Yeah. But we should still, we should come out of that, uh, assuming there isn't yet another wave, pandemic mm-hmm. wave, we should come out of that fairly early next year. So, so I, I'm, I'm, we're very bullish on next year's economy. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. You had mentioned diversity, equity, and inclusion also. And, and that's part of the values piece. And I think that's going to be a real challenge for most co-working spaces in a lot of ways, particularly the diversity side, because honestly, as a country, we're sorted in a way where particularly it's going to be hard for suburban co-working spaces to be very diverse, just in the sense of where we all live. We, mm-hmm. we, we, as a country, we, we have sorted by income, we've our home locations, we've sorted by race, we've sorted, we're increasingly sorted by political affiliation. And so it's going to be, that's going to be a challenge because it's going to be hard to attract a, a, a truly diverse group when you're, you know, 15 minute away is not going to be a necessarily diverse group. Right. But I think right. the other parts, equity and inclusion, um, can certainly be part of it. And I think diversity where you can can be part of it. But I think that's going to require some real thought and effort on the part of co-working space owners. How, how, yeah. do, I, how do I do that? I would agree with you. And I think in those instances, there's other things you can do, though, to help educate people on diversity, help train them on diversity, like free training from Hollaback or supporting diversity. 
Like, I think that it can be part of who you are, even if you can't attract diversity in your area because of just the way the area is. I think there's lots of ways to, to still support diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that'll be, and and I think that that is now part of everybody's brand. Mm-hmm. And so it's a continue, a little bit of continuation of the brand discussion. How you address that is going to be part of everybody's brand. Yeah. And we're seeing that. In, in all ways. Okay. So we're running out of time. It's amazing how fast it always goes. What What do you think I should be talking about that I haven't talked about yet in regards to major impacts to this industry next year? I think next year, the, as I said, the, the, the big question for me right now is, are we through the pandemic or mostly through the pandemic? Mm-hmm. And so you, you still have to think about what you're going to do if there's yet another wave. We're seeing in the last four weeks, Europe has fallen into the fourth wave. We haven't seen that happen yet in the US, but in several of the European countries, cases are actually at all times highs, which mm. is very depressing. Yeah. It's not getting any it's not getting any press or attention here in the US. I think we're all so tired of it. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear that. But but Europe is now kind of falling into another wave. So, so in terms of, of planning and thinking about it, it would be nice to say next year we're going to, it's going to be back to normal. So I think that you have to keep in mind, what do I do if some form of lockdowns and other things happen yet again, some sort of yep. constraints now? So that, that, that's piece one. Piece two is, is the second thing I think co-working spaces need to figure out how to, how to, navigate for next year is this whole shift within the workforce. Um, it's being called the great resignation. It's really not that great, but it's, it's like the, not, maybe not the great, but, but, but it, there is a resignation going on. And that's about realigning for most people that's around realigning how they view work as part of their lives. And I think co-working spaces have an opportunity to take advantage of that. There's a lot of people that don't want to continue working the way they've been working. They want greater levels of work-life balance. They want more autonomy and control over what they do and how they do it. And I think that part of the branding part, marketing part, if I was running a co-working space, is I would say this is the place where you can do that. This is the place yeah. where you can learn how to do it. This is the place that will provide you that those opportunities. It will give you an opportunity to network with other people and see how other people do that. I think there's a real learning opportunity around, you know, we're, call, we're, we're using rewords a lot, resignation, reshuffling, mm-hmm. re- rethinking, but people need a place and help doing that. And, and so I think next year that's that's that will be a draw for the co-working industry. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a great opportunity. Yeah, you know, um, I I opened right after the recession and there were a lot of folks in there that were figuring it out together. Mm-hmm. And those those folks are still friends to this day. And that was 11 years ago because they formed those bonds, they helped each other, they went to the same classes together and it was really a very sticky tool of keeping people in the co-working space. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that's an interesting opportunity for next year. And then the the third piece in terms of 2022 is I'm not that much of an expert on the traditional real estate industry to sort of fully grasp this, but but they are go, they are going through as we talked about earlier, they're going through big changes. They understand they're going through big changes. They want to make changes. And so it seems to me for many co-working opportunities, there's probably 
next year, maybe and starting even now, maybe the you know the biggest opportunity to do partnership deals with traditional real estate that there's ever been. Mm-hmm. And so, and so it may be time. You know, I I would also be looking at potential opportunities to partner with those real estate firms that are frankly looking for solutions and don't know how to do it. Um, yeah. And and I think at this point they know they don't know how to do it. Yeah, agreed. Know, before the pandemic and even earlier, we, we would talk to the real estate folks and they say, "Yeah, I can do that." <laughs> and I think now they're learning they can't. Yeah, we actually had, you know, I do some consulting with Deco Group and we actually had a real estate firm call us up and talk to us about community. And I almost fell out of my chair because mm. I couldn't believe they were using that language. And I think the other thing is it's just if the fourth wave doesn't happen, which it could, I have no idea, but it could. But if it doesn't, you need to be like looking for where you're going to start your next location or locations. You need to look at scaling your technology and you need to look at where you're going to hire people because like there is a huge problem hiring for growth right now. So, right. you know, I would put together a contingency plan for if everything goes great, a contingency plan for if everything goes horribly wrong. And figure out those ways that you can still make money if a fourth wave does happen, whether it's through virtual or doing online membership. Lots of people have pivoted and done some really interesting things. And there's lots of examples of that. But yeah, I think I think the big thing coming out of this is plan for the best and plan for the worst. And let's see what happens. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, Steve, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I love our conversations and can't wait for the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for having me. And um, certainly uh, it's going to next year is going to be an interesting year. Um, And I'm actually excited about it. I am. I don't believe the fourth wave will will happen. I think I'm extremely excited about the latest medications from Pfizer and Merck, such that that even if we continue to fail to get vaccinated at a decent rate, we, we now have therapeutics, which we haven't had before. So I'm 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 I'm. I'm, I am uh, very excited about next year. I think it'll be very positive for the co-working industry. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping we're going into the roaring 2022s. Let's bring it. <laughs> now we just have to worry about 2029. If that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Thanks again, Steve. We'll talk soon. Ciao. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz Elam, your host. You can learn more about all things Juicy has to offer at Juicy.co, which is G-C-U-C dot C-O. Don't forget to like this podcast and subscribe to the Juicy podcast. Stay tuned. We have more episodes on the way. Ciao.